Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Mark Newman of HireVue. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. You're doing great. Yeah, thanks for, Thanks so much for being on the show. So, Mark, why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit uh, you know, about your background? Yeah, so um, HireVue as a company is a digital interviewing platform for companies to use when they hire and do any type of talent program inside of their business. Um, we invented this thing called the on-demand video interview um, almost 10 years ago now um, at a point in time when we said, hey, everyone in the world is going to take job interviews through webcams. And people's first response were, what are webcams? Um, so, you know, it's obviously caught up a lot with mobile and everything about that, but it's this like, platform and this idea of using video and mobile and everything like that to enable people to tell their story and demonstrate their ability to work and fundamentally change how people get to know candidates, job candidates, people on their team, people on their staff and whatever. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Cool. And yeah, how are, you know, how, you know, ballpark, you know, what are revenues at today and how many customers do you have? Yeah, so Hyrevue has over uh, 400 enterprise customers, and um, this year will be you know between 20 and 30 million in sales. Nice, really nice. So I think um, you know you probably you probably get this question all the time. So how is this fundamentally different from you know what's the benefits of using this over like a Skype or a Google Hangouts? Yeah, for sure. So um, I was looking at it as like you know I was just using uh, Skype with my grandma a couple last weekend. Now the no uh, part of it is you know obviously there's you know other tools and, and tools that you can be using for different types of interactions, right? You can be using the phone, you could be using your cell phone, you could be using Skype or Hangouts, you could be meeting in person, you can be doing all these various things. Um, and, you know, we have live interviews, live video like we do here as part of our overall platform, right? It's, it's, it's a component of it. And we do, you know, hundreds of thousands of interviews behind it all. Um, but the kind of the, the idea isn't actually, you know, the essence of HireVue actually isn't really just about the video or seeing somebody on the other side, me and you kind of connecting this way. If you think about for, for an organization, whether you're hiring 10 people or whether you're hiring 10,000 people, um, every time you're trying to hire somebody, you actually have just this insane multiplier effect that happens on top of it, right? For every job, you have 10 to 20 candidates. If for every time you try to interview people, you have to meet with four or five different people. Um, and if you think about it from a production perspective, for every like 10 hires, you're talking about like 500 interviews that end up happening, right? And nothing about those interviews is recorded, shared, ability to be collaborated on. You and I can't have this and then say, oh, hey, hey, Dave, come check this out, you know, or whatever it is. And most of all, in the case of, say, like a Skype or something like that, it requires you to do it real time, right? And you always have to just hope that this real-time interaction is worthwhile. So we provide just this massively scalable platform to, for that a company can have hundreds, if not thousands of candidates interviewing on it at any given moment. They do it on their own time when it works for them. They answer questions one by one with responses being recorded into the system for review later by you and your team. And you can take those questions and those responses and those candidates and share them across the whole organization and have, here's the questions we actually want to ask. Here's the ratings and feedback we want to have. Here's how we want to go back to it over time. Here's how we want to mine it for insight. And it just becomes this massively scalable process. Um, for some of our customers that hire, you know, 100,000 people a year, they do between two and five million interviews to get there. And there's no repeatability, scalability or anything like that about, behind it all. And that's what HireV brings to the table. Got it. Okay, that's awesome. So it's a very it's a very robust platform. Um, okay, so in terms of in terms, I know you just said you know you, you have people that hire hundred thousand employees employees a year. So I, out of curiosity, who are your biggest clients? 
<laughs> Good question. Uh, we do a lot of work with um, companies like uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, General Electric, G, uh, Hilton Worldwide, and kind of a lot of brands that we work and interact with every single day. Got it. Awesome. So this segues perfectly into you know my the bit about uh, customer acquisition. So you know how did you go about acquiring your first, let's say, your first hundred customers? <laughs> Begging, pleading, smiling, and dialing. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, no. Ultimately, you know, Hireview. We, we went through that. Every startup goes through that phase where you're at a certain point in time, you're so grateful to even have a customer, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, like you're like, it's an arm's length transaction. And I just got a hundred dollars from this customer. I mean, our first customer that we ever had spent a hundred and fifty dollars with us. And we thought that was incredible. Um, and then now we have customers that spend, you know, in the millions of dollars with us. And so the first hundred customers literally came from, um, better, you know, targeting, referrals, um, having the guts to say, hey, can I just come and meet you and get your feedback on what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, getting the right people who can just go and be an evangelical ambassadors to try to get those meetings and get it all set up. Mm -hmm. And then it was just, frankly, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in terms of trying to figure out how to get them on the platform, get them using it, and make them successful. Got it. I mean, yeah, it's never, a, I don't think it's ever glamorous for any startup. And if they say it is, they're mostly, they're pretty much lying. Yep. So, you know, there's a massive difference between a $150 customer and a multi-million dollar client. So, what, you know, walk us through, you know, how, you know, kind of the process for getting someone to pay millions of dollars. How does that all work? Yeah, um, it's for, for any, you have to always prove, for me, when it comes to kind of getting the right customer and, and more importantly, who is your customer and who isn't. There's a lot of businesses that their right customer is that customer that spends 100 or $500 a month. And that's a volume play, right? And you have to have managed conversion rates and your funnel rates and what have you. For kind of who we are and what we do, we know we create an enormous amount of value for companies with broad-based, like high-volume hiring needs um, that are sophisticated brands and that have that are emerging growth, like high-growth organizations, right? So for us, it became in, uh, an exercise of focusing into who our customer is and who it isn't. Um, and then when we figured out, okay, here's who our customer is and who our target is, um, all right, what's the most effective value proposition for it? How do we create a value proposition behind it all that resonates? And how do we make sure that there's kind of deep alignment with their business, that they know we have the ability to execute on the project, and that we can constantly deliver just incredible innovation? And then wrap that around with just incredible trust and respect for not only that's a back and forth relationship in terms of how we do business. Um, it's you're never just going to be a smiling, smiling and dialing and signing seven-figure deals. I mean, it's about it's about building incredible relationships, but not only just oh, you buy from your best friend. It's about creating great business alignment around how we meet a very incredible acute need for this business, and how do we make the our our customers look like rock stars. Got it. Awesome. So these million-dollar deals are they usually like are they already current customers and you upsell them or are they you know your sales team goes out and, and kind of you know lasers or goes out hunting for them? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, that's kind of one of the beauties of SaaS, right? And kind of well, it's always existed in software sales, mm -hmm. but it's become more acute kind of in this in today's market. Um, we definitely employ the land and expand model. Right. Um, in terms of kind of getting a beachhead inside of an organization, starting and, and working with, you know, a specific recruiting group or a specific function or a specific application that they want to be using. And then working to kind of build our credibility and build trust with our users to be able to earn the right to be able to expand across the business. Um, and so it's very much land and expand. Um, the, the only part about land and expand that we've found is that you're only ever going to have 
um, a, you have an upper limit of upsell and expansion inside of an, inside of a customer based on where you start. Right. If you start at $100 and then you ask for 10000 there's actually a really low likelihood that you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you start at you know, $10,000 or the, the initial customer value is a ten dollars or $15,000 or $20,000 engagement, you are able to get to a fifty dollars or $100,000 engagement. And I think you're seeing that in kind of the startup community as a whole as in, in a lot of cases where the companies that maybe started as a freemium product or that you could start for just a couple of hundred bucks are having a hard time making the jump into doing enterprise-grade deals. Got it. So, you know, I see on a lot of SaaS sites, it's like, you know, if you have, if, if you're an enterprise company, you know, click here to get more information. So when they click that is, is what happens is you guys come up with the, the pricing to kind of, you know, kind of anchor them at a higher level. That way you can close, you can upsell them to like the million dollar level. No, I mean, that's not our approach in terms of how we, how we do pricing. We don't have pricing on our website. We don't have three plans that you could sign up for and then you're, you could opt for the fourth. That's just not our business and it's just not how we, how we work with our customers. How we work with our customers, um, we have you know very simple metrics, metrics around scope of usage, right? Whether they're using a single site, a single country, or globally because we're working inside of their hiring programs, mm-hmm. um, and then scale of, of hires, right? Are they hiring up to 500 people, up to 1,000 people, up to 5,000 people, 50,000 people, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Um, and then there's a simple, it's a simple pricing multiplier based on kind of how that works. So it can be very transparent, it can be very clear with our customers. And ultimately in our market, when you think about it as something as, as kind of precious as the candidate experience and kind of the number of hires you're doing, if you're doing 50,000 hires and you're getting the same price as somebody that's doing it for 100 hires, you're probably at high risk of having a really bad vendor relationship because the, the sophistication of the needs that happen um, requires kind of a different, a different way of going to market. Got it. So I think there's a lot to be said about about hiding your prices, and then you know perhaps Mark Newman, <laughs> you can do like a blog post or an ebook on that someday. I'd be happy to pay for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, let, I guess let's backtrack a little bit. I'm, I'm, I keep staring at your background. I mean, there's a lot going on there. So can you tell us what that's all about? It's my own little world of insanity. Um, we have uh, my my assistant, uh, and when we were building out our office, decided, you know, Mark, you always kind of take notes, and um, you might as well do it while you can be on the phone or whatever. And so I have just an entire um, wall in my office of just various kind of notes from projects, customer meetings, partner meetings, um, ideas, you know, you name it. Um, and uh, one of my board members, who's now our chairman, taught me this trick one day where, you know, he's like, the problem with a whiteboard is that you only have one layer, right? Like you write on it and then it's kind of full. And so as a, as a total accident, he randomly had crayons from his grandkids that were like in his bag. And he started using different color crayons when he ran out of space on a piece of paper and started writing another note, right? So he had like a, a blue layer, then a red layer, then an orange layer. And he, what he does is that he looks at it by color Mm -hmm. and it becomes its own kind of plane. And so anyways, he taught me this trick. And so I could be writing in all sorts of different colors on top of things. And when you want to focus on a conversation, you look at red, you look at blue, you look at orange, whatever. And then it kind of washes away everything else. It's kind of crazy. That's so. awesome. How, how often are you, I mean, how often are you, I can imagine it, get, it would get pretty packed. So I mean, how often are you, are you like deleting things and changing it up? Um, you know, you move, you change parts, right? You know, like something's irrelevant now. You kind of erase that. You put something else on. You take pictures of it. You put it into Evernote. You know, stuff like that. You do some tags behind it all. You have sections, like a sections on something. This. You take a picture there. Tag it in Evernote. Put it out through. It's it's my own little world of insanity. <laughs> I love it. Awesome, man. Um, 
you know, side question: Is your, I mean, what, what's what's your uh, what's your what's your background? Is it engineering, business, what, finance? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, started HireVue with a co-founder coming out of college in 2004. Um, the first five years were kind of playing business, living at my parents' house, not having much revenue. I think we had about $100,000 in revenue <clears throat> and um, did that for the first five years. And then in 2009, we started bringing in some outside capital. We went from kind of three people to 200 people a day and kind of hit that growth point. Um, before that, though, I mean, I graduated when I was about 20. Um, I just do, did like an international business degree, just kind of a fast degree. And the summer before starting HireVue, I actually did animal shows at Hobo Zoo uh, here in Salt Lake City as like a fun last summer job. So I'd like to say, oh, yeah, I'm a great, you know, product programmer or great that. Other, other than kind of, you know, hacking together some websites and stuff like that, I never, ever did anything. And uh, just mostly designed it, built it and whatever. And then, frankly, uh, just kept going and tried to figure it out along the way. So no, no, nothing glamorous, just uh, just went after it. How about yourself? Oh, I am, you know, my background's in, in internet marketing, but, uh, you know, graduated with economics, so it has nothing to do with it. But, you know, right. I'm, I'm the same way as you two. Um, so, you know, going from 30 to 200 people, massive difference. I mean, yeah, can you tell uh, us about the challenges? Yeah. Three to yeah, 200, yeah. yeah. What were you, sorry, what was the question? Sorry, so going from three to 200 people, I mean, I imagine there's some massive challenges. So can you share some of the challenges with us? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so HireVue, as, as a business, we've actually always been a very virtual business. So 40% um, of our team is virtual, um, work from home. Um, and that's, you know, people that make, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's not just like a support team at home or something like that. Um, it's enterprise sales. It's half my executive team. Um, it's really kind of spread, spread across the board in that regard. Um, and so with that in mind, it's like you always have to, you know, so not only do you have the comp the, the the complexity of growth, you also have the complexity of field and, and virtual, right? And kind of how you want to be doing that. So for me, it, it became really important to be focusing on what are kind of the core, not just like what's our value and mission statement and whatever, but truly like, who are we? What are we about? And how do we operate when no one else is around? Right. In the sense of kind of what are our beliefs? How do we kind of do things? Um, and we had to break it down to really kind of four key areas. Right. How do we drive mass? Are we always focused on driving massive adoption, delivering new innovation, building a great building a great company and team and most of all, earning passionate customers? Right. Whatever we're doing, the idea of kind of customer satisfaction is kind of bullshit. It's really focused on, like, do you have customer passion and like, do you earn customer passion around in behind what you do? Um, and then kind of being very clear around what are expectations underneath that, right? So not only what do we have to deliver, but second to that, like what are our attributes and how do we operate, right? Do you act like an owner? Do you try to earn everything? Every The higher the job title, the harder you have to work in terms of earning that title, right? Do you create followship um, and being just merciless around, you know, that's not necessarily, not necessarily one of the attributes, but being just merciless around making sure that we hold to that standard in the sense of um, there's no room for people that are destructive, right? There's no room for people that don't create fellowship um, and are just the people, you know, there's no room for, frankly, drama queens or kings in that regard um, that just, frankly, you know, have to live for the drama behind it all. Mm -hmm. um, you come in, you execute, you get shit done, you do it on, you know, you do it on your own and you do your best work every single day. So it was hard as when it was a few people I was so grateful to have people here that I wasn't necessarily like 
as a, a great boss or a manager as a friend, you know, and like you kind of like go through that phase. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you go through this phase where you used to know everybody and now you know nobody. Right. Because you walk around, you don't know them as intimately as you used to. You don't keep up with people as much as you did and whatever. And, uh, you know, that just uh, it, it's a whole it's a whole new world. And you just kind of have to hope and focus on that. You've set the right context for everybody so that you can execute when you're not around. Got it. You know, that that's that's a, you bring up a really interesting point. So the whole remote thing. Right. I, I've been a part of a startup before where we had about 60 percent remote and, you know, it was great. I mean, everyone was super talented. Everyone was super smart. And I think I might have talked about this in another episode as well. But the remote thing, I think it tends to work well when you're with, you know, really, really talented people. But we tried the remote thing, you know, as an agency, we tried it a, a few times. And sometimes we find that, you know, it doesn't work out as well when people are a bit more junior. So, I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? Does remote apply to everyone or... Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. I mean, we have it from junior to senior inside of Hireview, but it came down to when we were when we were screening people um, in terms of bringing them on board and hiring them for our team, as well as w- the context we set in terms of how we work with them, right? Mm-hmm. So the first part is like on the screening side, really digging in deep around not only, all right, have you worked virtually before or not, right? And a lot of times if they haven't, um, then you're like, okay, let's put, you know, let's put that a little bit to pause. But if they go, no, I haven't, but I actually really want to, mm-hmm. then you have to kind of dig in about why, right? Why do you want to? And, but because the context of that is that some people get their energy from being around groups of people, mm-hmm. right? Like they want to be in it. Like, and, and a lot of times on the junior side of it, they want the social aspect of work, mm-hmm. right? They want to be part, they want to be part of the group. They want to go out for drinks after they want to do that side of it. Right. Right. And so you kind of have to dig, dig in and assess and make sure that people are really comfortable actually with that idea, right? Like if they get their personal energy from being around social groups and being that side of it, but they're like, no, but I'm ready to work at home. You're like, no, actually working at home kind of sucks sometimes, right? Like you're in a cave, you go three days without showering, you don't even <laughs> know what time it is, you know, when you never feel like it's like complete work-life integration, you you're know. Wearing boxers during interviews. Exactly. Like, you know, no, it's not that glamorous, but, you know, it, it, so if so you have to make sure that there's a really good assessment around like what like what are they truly trying to get at right and a lot of times what you find with the reason why more seasoned more seasoned people or more experienced people are better at home workers is because they're like you know i've kind of been through that it's like people that are like you know i went through my drinking phase that's called college mm-hmm. right you know and you're like yeah you got that taken care of and so they're like you know i've kind of moved on to my part i'm not really good game for going out and having drinks with the team or shooting the breeze all day i want to get my work done um and then be you know and then be finished and you're like hey fantastic you're ready to work at home right so that's kind of that difference for then second to that for higher view um, we just really work on you know respect and trust and accountability right so obviously that like respect in the sense of you're coming into the organization and you're accountable accountable not only to like deliver what you have to deliver but you're accountable to everyone else in terms of kind of holding up your side of the bargain right in terms of what you need to kind of you need to carry your weight you need to execute on that and um and then trust behind it all that we have the right people on board the team that they're going to get their job done and we don't have to manage hours we don't have to manage when you're logged in we're not managing logging we're not you know doing those types of things you just have to execute and deliver and that's kind of given us the right type of context up to this point to be able to kind of pull it all off got it all right awesome cool so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna switch gears a little bit here i mean was there any point in time when you felt like the company was on the brink of failure (laughs) <laughs> there's about 10 <laughs> the uh there's you know it's never uh, i mean we've had everything at, at various points like 
I kind of live by this idea that everything that bad that could possibly happen inside your business will, right? Like ultimately everything possibly, everything bad that could possibly happen will happen. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of you have to hope that it doesn't all happen on the same day. And you have to hope that the quality of your team is like can withstand the shocks. Like if you have, a, if you have, if one thing that bad happens and you have a crappy team, you're going to fail. Right. But if a bad thing happens or a couple bad things happen and you have a great team, you can basically withstand any of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and so everything that bad could possibly happen. We've been out, you know, people say, oh, you've raised money, you know, five, six times. And I'm like, yeah, four of the times we were out of money. Um, we were at like zero. Um, we wow. Had, 2006 or 2007 when we were hosting with uh, Rackspace and there was only a couple of us inside the business, a semi-truck crashed off the freeway into the data center and took out our servers. Wow. Literally just like took it out. And the CEO of Rackspace was like, um... I'm sorry. Like, there's like no like way, you know, we can back this up and we were down and we had to back this all up. Mm -hmm. um, at one point in time, we went down and the person that we thought, like where we thought was the source code, the source code didn't exist. And like, we had to figure all that out. That was like 2008. Um, people quit or people move on or you have this big, great hire and they flame out or um, a partnership doesn't work out or you miss a number, you know, like, Everything will stuff constantly happens, um, but there's never been a point where I was looking at it as ready to give up. I mean, it's I've been working on it for ten years. It's passed in a flash. The first five years, frankly, really sucked, um, but it made us who we are today. And um, you just kind of keep going. How do you? I mean, you know, uh, have you read uh, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things? I mean, uh, I'm almost finished. Yeah. So you've gone through the part, you know, the struggle, right? I mean, the, the, everything you've said right there is pretty much the struggle. So how did you, you know, Mark? How did Mark Newman deal with the moments where you were out of money four times, like dead, up almost? You know, how do you deal with that? Um, just like. Yeah, you either have like a complete, a complete massive sense of narcissism where it just washes off you and stubbornness and you just keep going. Um, but also I look at it as like I've had I've been so fortunate to have an ecosystem around me of people like, um, you know, I've had I've been, doing, I've been with the same girl for a dozen years. I have, you know, my parents and friends and, you know, investors or board members or people inside the team or whatever that frankly, um have never once said to me, well, do you think we should X, right? Like, do you think we should shut down? Do you think you should go get a job? Do you think it's time to kind of close the doors? Do you think, you know, like we need to do X? Um, and I've just always wanted to commit myself to figuring it out, right? And just being kind of on, on that part of it and just not giving up. And like when I kind of want to look back on it, I mean, if it was just kind of yourself, just by yourself, and like you're thinking about, there's some incredibly just dark, painful days and moments when you just don't know, or and not even necessarily days and moments. It could be weeks or months, and you're not sure, you know, if what you're doing is going to be right or pull it off. But then there's just that one conversation or that one person in your life or whoever it is that just kind of you think you say like, should I go get a job? And they're like, hell no. You're going to keep going on this, aren't you? You know, or how's higher view or, oh, this is incredible that you're doing this. And you're like, actually, it kind of sucks, yeah. right? It's really hard. And they're like, are you kidding? You're in like the 1% club. Like you're so lucky to be able to be experiencing this. Why wouldn't you keep seizing it? And I've just been fortunate to have enough of those people around at the right time that uh, it just kept going. 
Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, the key takeaway here is, is the support structure. And you seem like such a positive guy. I mean, you've gone through all this shit. I mean, I don't even know how I would deal with that. I mean, four times. So, you know, props to you on that. Um, cool. So, you know, obviously, you know, your company has the name Hire, has Hire in it. So, I mean, there has to be, you know, some, um, you know, let, let's just talk about hiring a little bit. So, I mean, how much time do you as a CEO right now spend on hiring? I spend about a third of my, I, I spend a, about a quarter of my time on hiring, um, a quarter of my time on, you know, with customers, quarter of my time with partners, quarter of my time on strategy type stuff, right? If you kind of think about it. And then, unfortunately, there's always those times when you need to find more quarters. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, and, and it goes in waves, right? We consistently are interviewing, we're consistently hiring. I just brought on um, a new head of sales. Um, we're going and kicking off a CFO search, right? In terms of kind of doing that. And fortunately, obviously, we uh, we drink our own champagne and eat our own dog food, so it's all powered by HireVue. So it doesn't take as much time as if I did it another way. Um, but it's it's sourcing, it's meeting, it's closing, it's kind of getting to know people, um, and then also spending a lot of time with the people that are already here, right? Making sure the best that I can is that we have the right people on board and kind of pushing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's never ending. Got it. So if you had to, you know, if you had to share one piece of, you know, hiring, I guess a, a hiring tactic for, you know, companies with under 50 employees, let's say, you know, how would you go about, you know, finding the best people if there's only one thing you could do? Um, always punch above your weight class. Like literally, like if they're, they're on all the key roles and all the roles that we want to bring in on a very routine basis, people are like, I have no idea how HireVue recruited that person. And it's like 90% of the time it's because we tried, right? Like we wanted to and we did it with a purpose and we want to get kind of those types or those caliber of people in. Um, and we've built just an incredible team that I'd put up against anybody. I mean, when, when, the, uh, when, when the CEOs of some of the uh, biggest companies in the world, the biggest tech companies in the world are interviewing my people, trying to kind of get them onto their team and trying to take them to lunch and, you know, all these various parts, I'm pretty psyched about the quality of our team. So it's punching above your weight class. And then for us, it was always really important to us to make sure that you focus on the school of experience of the person, not, oh, they came from this company, so they're going to be good, right? Um, it wasn't just a, a, a good that they might have sold in your industry, but they, they sell in an environment that was like how you're trying to sell, right? Did they create a brand in an environment that was like what you're trying to do, um, school of experience. And the last part was just really passion and authenticity, Right. Like if you can have the greatest person in the world, but if they don't have passion for who they are and what they're about and what they want to do, literally, they're going to fail. They're going to wash out. And when it's hard, they're going to give up. Um, and if they're not authentic, you know, they're going to be a failure um, in terms of just being able to be transparent and open and just kind of authentic around who they are and what they're about. So, I mean, you asked for one, but those are kind of the big the big elements that I always kind of thought through and think through and always try to make sure that we have as part of our values. Got it. Yeah. Thanks for that. And. You know, how, you know, who goes about, uh, you know, sourcing the talent for you? I mean, how do you go about finding all this great uh, talent? Everybody does. That's the key, right? Like everybody on the team sources talent here. Um, you know, obviously we have recruiters that kind of focus in on it and it's their full-time job. But like we, we hired, we've hired something like 90, like 50% of our team through referrals, and on the referrals, it's not just, oh, I think I know this person and it'd be great. It's, oh, here's a person and we have people answer the question, why do you think this person would be awesome? Right? Like you're putting their name on, you're putting your name on this person about why you think we should bring them on board. Why do you think they'd be awesome? 
Um, and so we've had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of referrals from not only people on our team, um, our board, our investors, um, our customers, our partners, you know, because we always are recruiting, we're always building, and we want to make sure that people kind of help us build the, build the best. So it's never just one person, it's everybody is sourcing. Um, and then you just have some specialists who do it every day. Got it. Okay, perfect. Um, so what's one piece of, going back to the one thing again, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> that, uh, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's actually something that you, you see a lot of, it's don't, you know, chase after points, not yards, right? You know, in the sense of like, you know, a lot of times you make these like little bits of progress and like you're focused on just trying to make that little tiny bit of progress, but you lose it. You're like, well, how do we actually score here? Right. How do we actually get points on the board? Um, and so sometimes your thinking is a little just short sighted. Right. And that you have to really make sure that you have a long term view of, all right, I'm 25. I'm about to turn 30 here. And what do I want to have in five years so that that keeps us like a guiding light and a post around what you're building towards? So because if you know that you want to go, that you start here and you want to get to here, it's like this the whole way up. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of have an understanding, if you don't know where you're trying to get towards or what you're trying to get to, you're never going to get there. And um, that's just the biggest thing that I'd look back on, because I think we could have moved faster. I think we could have executed better at different points. I wouldn't trade what I've learned over the last five years for anything, but I think I could have made that maybe two years instead of five if we really pulled it off right. I like that. So focus on the points, not the yards. Yeah. Is there any? Is there anyone that said that? Is there any... <laughs> <laughs> There's been all sorts of people that say that, right? It's uh, you know, whether it's cliches, coaches, CEOs, you name it. It's uh, it's totally true though. Got it. Okay. Cool. So, final question from my side, or actually two final questions. Um, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Um, that's, uh, that you don't try to, for me, it's not focusing on, um, work-life, uh, balance. It's actually focusing on work-life integration. Mm -hmm. Um, and that actually encompasses, um, people talk about time blocking and kind of structuring their time and whatever. And at a certain point you don't have time, right? Like, like, you, like there's just like, there's always going to be stuff that kind of has to take it. So, um, for me, it was really important is that I had to make sure that I was present in all conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, so what actually I did was I turned off email on my cell phone. So I literally have like a smartphone that's still a cell phone. Um, and I have an iPad and whatever, and I'm addicted to it. And I use it all the time for email and everything. But by separating out those two things, everyone sees the red blink blinking light. Everybody hears the sound. And every time that red light blinks or that sound blinks, um, you become less productive. And most of all, you don't become present in the conversation. It's kind of like you and I talking right now, and if you're able to see me look down and like be texting away or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that that takes away from the quality of conversations, that takes away from the quality of relationships, both in your business life and your personal life, and it takes away from you doing your best work. So I'm addicted to it. I love it. I'm never going to change it. I hate email on my phone, I'm, and I uh, can, can figure it all out and get it all done, and not a single person in the world will say I don't work hard enough. <laughs> cool. I like it. Final question. Um, what's one must-read book uh, you can recommend to the audience? <laughs> um, I actually really um, – I'm a big fan of kind of business history in that regard. Um, and I actually really love the book Once in Golconda 
Um, it is this old book about kind of the robber barons um, back, you know, in the 1800s, the guys that built the railroads and the cruise lines and the transport lines and whatever. Um, and they were single-handedly like the most ruthless competitors you would ever meet in terms of kind of doing that out. And I think we talk a lot about the, how competition works now with, you know, technology companies and this and that, but like, these guys manipulated markets and shut people out and had, you know, business moves and political moves and all these various things. At the same time, they were literally building the infrastructure of an entire country, right? And uh, and I think you can learn a lot from it. So I absolutely love, you know, Once, once in Golconda. Uh, outside of that, um, I actually just really love reading whatever kind of fiction and fun books and whatever it is out there to kind of clear your brain sometimes. <laughs> Got it. Cool. Yeah. I, I think there's a certain thing to say about, uh, you know, these, these history books cause there's their experience sharing, right. And you take whatever you can take away from it. It's not like people that are telling you to do something specifically. So I think that can be definitely valuable. So once in Golconda, right. Is that what it is yep. called? Yeah. Once in Golconda and G O L C O N D A. Yep. Got it. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Cool. So, Mark, you know, thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this. You know, appreciate your, your candor and appreciate the, the positive energy that you, you brought. But definitely want you, to, want you to be on the show again sometime soon. I would love to. Thanks for all your work and for contributing this to the community. It's really important. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thanks.